some writing. We are the So, birds. Birds! I thought it would be fun to start by using this book I have. It's called Bird Magic, Wisdom of the Ancient Goddess for Pagans and Wiccans by Sandra Kynes, or K-Y-N-E-S is her last name. So, Kynes is what I'm assuming, but I don't know how it's pronounced. Yeah, Probably. Sister Celine, do you want to go first, picking a bird? Vulture! Okay. Is my page turning music? Vulture. Okay, so I'm not going to read like the whole excerpt because this book actually does a really cool job of getting into the various cultures and mythologies of the birds in this book. Um, So this is like for the black vulture and turkey vulture. And the magical workings section is as such. This powerful bird is a guardian of the mysteries that turn the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Call on Vulture to guide a loved one over the threshold into the afterlife toward eventual renewal and transformation. Vulture's compassionate nature provides comfort to those who remain in this world. Long regarded as a symbol of mother goddesses, this bird shows us how to nurture others as well as ourselves call on it to aid in childbirth for strength and protection as you welcome a new person into this world. Vulture fosters loyalty and trust in families and can be especially helpful when resolving problems. It supports all forms of divination and aids in the development of psychic skills. Call on Vulture to guide you in shamanic work and spiritual growth. Oh, wow. I love Um, that. Yeah, so it has, like, it starts off with, like, the mythological stuff, and then it has magical workings. It gives you a little blurb on how to, like, connect with vultures specifically. The various associations, like, elements and goddesses and zodiac, etc. And then, like, a standard sort of bird identification section. So you know when you're looking at one. You know when you're looking at one. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you. Do you have a bird? Um, I'm gonna say geese. That was one of my mom's favorite. That's a good one. Future Psychia here, coming at you hot with some very important goose facts. In ancient Egypt, the goose was associated with Geb, god of the earth and physical support of the world. According to Hori Redpole on WordPress.com, when in his goose form... Geb was known as the Great Cackler. His daughter Isis is sometimes referred to as the Egg of the Goose. 
These have been only a few goose facts of vital import. Please stay tuned for more. There's been a lot of snow geese out here where I live now, which I've never seen before I lived out here. And it's been absolutely unbelievable, the amount of snow geese floating around and, well, flying around, I guess, because they, they fly. I was um, attacked by geese as a child. Oh, no. They're pretty brutal. Yeah, they are. It was my aunt. She ran out of bread feeding them, and then um, <laughs> they got upset, so they chased us onto the park bench. And we just... <laughs> We had to climb the table and we were there and we just had to wait for them to go away. They were very irate. There were like four or five of them. It was like Yikes. a gang. Oh, it's very traumatic. That sounds traumatic. Well, maybe this will help heal from that trauma. Yeah. Let's, let's so, hope. Um, <laughs> the magical workings of geese. Domesticated for their eggs, meat, and feathers, geese symbolize comfort, abundance, and domesticity. Also, on the home front, these birds represent love, marriage, fertility, and fidelity. Call on goose to aid you in any of these areas of life. Goose also provides support for divination practices, especially interpreting messages and omens. In addition, this bird aids in working with spirits and can serve as a guide in other world journeys. Acting as a guardian, Goose is instrumental for warning of danger. For travel in the physical world as well as other realms, call on it for protection and the safe return. Although considered noisy by some, Goose brings clear communication and fosters cooperation. Spiritually, it can be a guide for soul pathway working, deeply meaningful quests, and personal growth. Speaking inspiration and imagination, Goose can help us find true freedom and happiness. That's pretty cute. Wow. I, I like that, that a lot. The um, yeah. thing that I always think of with regards to geese is I always think of that one line in the... Um, what is the name of that song? It's like, these are a few of my favorite things. And there's this really beautiful oh. line in, in the song that's like wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings and that's i always think they have kind of like a magical quality in that in that respect this is psyche rose popping in to say that the song is in fact from the sound of music and it is called my favorite things (laughs) and i just wanted to say that the other lyric that I always think about with regards to geese is from the poem by Mary Oliver entitled Wild Geese. A lot of people are familiar with the last few sentences of the poem, which are as follows. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, The world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Okay, that's all for now. That is a really lovely lyric. Yeah. 
so I have a, like two other instances, like cool little tidbits about birds. Nothing quite as elaborate as for cats and dogs so far. But um, something I thought that was very interesting is that like psychic birds of Singapore is a thing. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first thing that pops up, yeah, is this YouTube video. It was posted in 2009, but the host of the video's hair would suggest it's from the 80s. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's this quick little video about the Jurong Bird Park, which is still open today. But apparently in Singapore, you can go to a coffee shop and it's not unusual, or at least it wasn't, I don't know about right now, but um, it's not unusual for you to like find yourself a person who has a psychic bird using cardomancy, which is like fortune telling with cards and like giving you a fortune with these birds. So like, so, like the bird would, picks the card? The bird picks the card. Whoa. Nice. And while, like, you know, they would also compare, like, bird songs and stuff, apparently the bird's gifts in fortune telling was also heavily regarded as, like, important when trying to find, like, the best bird to have as a pet or whatever. <laughs> the best bird to have as a pet or whatever. So that was pretty neat. There's also this famous bird, Manny the Parakeet. <laughs> from from Singapore who apparently this bird chose the winners for the uh, FIFA World Cup in 2010 so the <laughs> bird and bird owner like shot up in fame and notoriety in this bird fortune telling uh, you know coffee shop hangout <laughs> uh, because the bird correctly picked the winners that is crazy. Oh my god. <laughs> but you know what? I am more inclined to trust a uh, divination from from an, an animal or a bird or a cat or a dog. Mm. Because I feel like they are less inclined to dishonesty. You know, I don't think that mm. they would, yeah. you know, deceive you on purpose. And I do think they have a higher connection to spirit and yeah, to the spirit world, especially birds, because they've always in. been associated with the ether and the heavens and, you know, and they are also part dinosaur, if I'm, if the science yeah. is correct, yeah. right? So yeah. they have a very ancient kind of energy that they bring to the table. So, yeah, bird, bird, bird is the word. I have a a little note that's relevant to that, which is that um, Rupert Sheldrake, who we talked about before, has also investigated the telepathic powers of an African gray parrot named Nikisi, who lives mm. in New York City. And there are videos of him also. Nikisi can tell what picture is on a piece of paper in an envelope without looking at it and then respond with a sound that matches like what that picture is like if it's a picture wow. of a telephone he can do a telephone ring wow. if it's if it's a person on a beach 
he's been trained that like if it <laughs> if it's a picture of a lady in a bikini on a beach, then you whistle. So he'll whistle <laughs> when it's a picture of a person on the beach. So but he doesn't look at the picture. He just knows what the picture is, which is oh my pretty astounding. <laughs> that is really it's like it's, There's like two <laughs> levels. It's like two levels deep. Just for some further clarification, in this experiment, Nikisi the parrot is kept in a separate room from his handler while his handler is opening the envelopes and looking at the pictures they contain. In the other room, at the same time, Nikisi uses sounds to communicate what picture his handler is looking at. So Nikisi's case is very similar to the one we've discussed previously in our episode about magical and telepathic doggos. Like JT the dog, who knows when his human is thinking about leaving work, some birds may possess the ability to sense a close human contact's feelings or thoughts. Unlike JT, some psychic birds are uniquely equipped with vocal communication skills, which under the right conditions they can use to describe the information they've received telepathically. Wow. Yeah, that is really something. Yeah. And, you know, you could outright trust a bird psychic more because you know that bird didn't, like, get your name and then look at your social media to be like, oh, I can sense you right? through yeah. a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, another thing I found that was pretty interesting in the world of birds is that I found on Cosmos magazine – it's like a science magazine um, published in June of last year, an article about a study. Um, this is a quote from that article, a study published in the proceedings of the national Academy of science researchers studied the brain of male and female plain tailed wrens as they sang duets with each other. Their synchronized music was the result of complex auditory feedback that inhibited the motor circuits in their partner's brain. So, like, sum that up. It's like when one when these two birds are like chirping at each other and singing and things, the bird that is not singing, the part of their brain that is responsible for singing literally shuts off until the other bird is done singing. And then that bird will reply, and the first bird's brain shuts off for singing. Which they call... outrageous. Yeah, and they call that a sensory linkage. Which, you know, if we're looking at the definition of telepathy as communication beyond the five basic senses, then that is part of that. It might for be defined sure. science, but as for the yeah. definition of telepathy, that's beyond the, the basic five senses. I think the farther that we get with science, the more there will be an overlap between like the things that are considered completely paranormal and the things that are described and like explained by... Yes. Science. 
but never the actual terminology. So instead of like a psychic link, they'll say it's a sensory linkage. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally different. (laughs) Yeah. Those are my main things about birds. Well, I have actually... Yeah, what you got? I have a couple of things, but one of the things is a (laughs) quote from the Marginalian, which is like a an online journal that's really beautiful and amazing. But um, there's a quote about birds in one of the articles on the Marginalian from a book called The Outermost House, A Year of Life on the Great Beach of Cape Cod by Henry Beston. And this quote is just so relevant to what you were saying. Um, It is kind of a longer quote, but um, you'll see at the end why it is relevant. He says, No aspect of nature on this beach is more mysterious to me than the flights of these shorebird constellations. The constellation forms in an instant of time, and in that same instant develops its own will. Birds have been feeding yards away from each other, each one individually busy for his individual body's sake, suddenly fuse into this new volition and flying, rise as one, coast as one, tilt their dozen bodies as one, and as one wheel off on the course which the new group will has determined. By what means, by what methods of communication, does this will so suffuse the living constellation that its dozen or more tiny brains know it and obey it in such an instancy of time. Are we to believe that these birds, all of them, are machina, as Descartes long ago insisted, mere mechanisms of flesh and bone so exquisitely alike that each cogwheel brain encountering the same environmental forces synchronously lets slip the same mechanic ratchet? Or... Is there some psychic relation between these creatures? Yeah, I actually, um, when I was doing my bird research, I did come across, I believe it's a pretty recent discovery, but they did. And so honestly, I can't like quote the websites that I got this from because I wasn't including it in my spiel. But um, pretty recently, they did figure out the mathematic calculation as to how birds travel in groups like that like seemingly simultaneously deciding to go in different directions there's actually like a mathematical breakdown on how they're able to figure that out and the crazy thing is is that they compared it to the mathematical like makeup of liquid nitrogen somehow (gasps) that part went over my head a little bit okay but wow Ultimately, like, and so that's partially why I didn't include it, because I did start seeing um, articles more along the lines of what you were saying. But then when I found the ones that were like, oh, we figure out like a mathematical reasoning yeah. <laughs> for how birds were able to do these things. I was like, bah, that's less fun. I, I cannot follow anyone into the like mathematician hole. Like, I just can't. Yeah, like, no. my brain won't do it. And that. I guess means even if they're not like thinking about it, birds are using much. What is that sound? Is is that some some breathing? Is Darth Vader on the line? 
was, <laughs> was that like interference of some kind? I'm so confused. But I have my fan on. Maybe that was it. The, it no, it sounded was for like sure a man breathing, breathing Did you hear it? into our. N- no. Oh my god. Interesting. I'm creeped out now. What? Yeah, I super hurt. It was like it was like it was like someone got into our meeting for a second and did like hot and heavy breath into yeah. the mic. It was very. I didn't weird. hear anything. Was it me? <laughs> I, mean, I really like don't think so. Were you mouth breathing? Because that's the only way. No, it definitely no, didn't sound like it was just like like a I mic close to Scissor Celine. It definitely sounded like someone intentionally breathing heavily into the mic. Which, like, man, I didn't get to hear it. Why is it the ghost never <laughs> let me hear them? <laughs> <laughs> So we had, I think it was some kind of weird interference. Like, is that possible on the internet? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, people like it's, it's becoming like notorious that like a lot of these platforms aren't safe for like meetings and stuff because people can just like hack them and start saying creepy stuff or, you know, chime in on the video and saying well, like, oh, I see that you're at your house and X, Y, and Z thing is happening. You know, I will say oh, that so it's possible birds and possibly also this breathing individual are using much higher math than i could ever hope to be able to (laughs) comprehend yeah yeah Uh, another another interesting thing kind of along the same vein is magneto reception which kind of answers the questions like are animals reading stuff from people with sensory input that conventional science can explain? Or are they reading auras? Are they witnessing energetic meridians and like sensing emotions in the metaphysical sense through observation of things that we can't see? Well, there's some evidence that some animals and insects can see ultraviolet light that we can't, like birds and butterflies can, in which case, like, maybe they can also see auras. After all, Mm. some humans are able to see auras as well. Some animals, like birds and sea mammals and sharks and sea turtles and salmon and salmon and um, also (laughs) (laughs) insects like bees and butterflies are able to navigate their migrations by tapping into geomagnetic fields of the earth an ability which is called magnetoreception this could be due to tiny intercellular functions in certain cells or specialized photoreceptors in their eyes which birds um, may be literally able to see magnetic fields like a compass overlay in their vision due to these proteins in their eyes that are sensitive to blue light. They might actually be able to just look around and like see what direction they're going in and things based on the magnetic field of the planet. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if they had insights into all kinds of things that we just like generally don't have insights into. 
I mean, that's for sure ESP by de- definition, yeah. you know, because it's mm-hmm. sensing extra stuff. Um, and it's funny that you bring that up because, yeah, cow, deer, and birds are all known to use Earth's magnetic field to orient their direction, at least. It, like, it could be more than that, but that's all we know right mm-hmm. now. And the only mammal known to use the arithmetic, oh my god, the arithmetic, you guys. <laughs> the arithmetic field. Salmon. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Earth's magnetic field to hunt prey are foxes actually um when they're hunting in like tall grass or snow i think snow is like the most common like visualization like if you picture a red fox hunting a mouse that's like under two feet of snow and they like get into position and then do this like jump up to dive straight down they've recently determined that foxes are using earth's magnetic field to know how deep down they need to go in order to get to their dinner that's crazy it's pretty wild so i wonder if that is like what we referenced earlier about how certain pets are able to find their way home like cats and dogs and things after mm-hmm. traveling long miles if they are using the earth's magnetic field um and they're just more uh sensitive and perceptive and able to pick up you know wavelengths of magnetic energy that uh, serve as some sort of compass. Yeah, and, like a uh, marker or something. Yeah, that's again. nuts. Which also Gosh, I wish I could do that. It also explains why, you know, I think it comes with benefits, but it also comes with um, a certain set of misfortune, because you... If you are tuned into that, the second that that gets disrupted by something it can throw you completely off kilter and I think that's part of Mm. you know why we see these like mass deaths of birds where they'll just like fall out of the sky and people don't really know why Um, it's like a just a mass sudden death of birds and I, I think that it's because they're you know they're they're like losing track of something and then they like hit a wall of wind or something that they're not expecting because the climate is changing and it's a bad sign obviously but i do think that like birds and other animals are because they're so plugged in they are more vulnerable to the little changes that we can just you know happily ignore Mm. and remain oblivious to when it's already in some respects too late like these changes are happening and and it's having a fatal impact on other species and we really need to like get with the program and start paying attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big time. On a happier note. So some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the other fox thing I have of note is about Megan Fox. Uh, <laughs> the model and actress apparently has a family history of uh, psychic activity in her family line. Her great grandmother was blind, but said that she could see spirits. And apparently, when she is about to work with directors or actors for a really long time, she checks their natal charts and, like, also Myers-Briggs 
before working with them or like before agreeing to work with them so that she knows what she's getting herself into, which is pretty funny. Wow. I pretty neat. I don't blame her at all. I really, no. I think that Myers-Briggs has like a ton of validity around it. Yeah. And like combined with astrology, that's like a really, a really good combo if you're trying to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can't tell exactly how someone's natal chart will like pan out to be the the human that they are necessarily, mm, mm-hmm. but there are little things, you know, that might be worth avoiding for <laughs> not I to mean, take astrology in a super negative direction, but like sometimes my natal chart is like dead on like if i had any doubts before um every time i read my chart i'm just always amazed at the accuracy there and it's not full of like you know these vague little things that could apply to like anyone or any aspect of your life it's just Mm -hmm. uh you know creepy (laughs) yeah my my natal chart is literally like you might work with animals at some point and then i was a dog walker for six years before i even ever Mm -hmm. looked at my natal chart so that's pretty interesting But first, a message from our sponsors. Just kidding. We don't have any sponsors. But we do have a donation button on Red Circle if you'd like to help us afford our web hosting for the upcoming year. Or you can help support independent bookstores along with the podcast by making your next book purchase through our curated storefront on bookshop.org. Also, we're excited to announce that we'll be opening up a new shop on Tee Public with some ridiculous new paranormal, witchy, and queer empowerment designs. So be sure to like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for updates. And if you're enjoying this episode, consider dropping us a positive review or sharing it with a friend to help us grow our audience. We deeply appreciate your support, which helps us to ensure optimal woo-to-you content in the future. And now, back to the killing. I mean, (laughs) our regularly scheduled program. We are the mystical Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon. We are the world. So, welcome back, everybody, to our. I hope you enjoyed our commercial break. With the Mr. Goggle Dancers. Let's hear it for them. Yeah, Mr. Goggle Dancers. Ah, oh, you go, girl. I love it. Mm, shake it, shake it. <laughs> but don't break it. Anyway, so we're continuing our special on birds. And 
I'd like to introduce a special bird of a feather, if you will. Uh, my colleague and friend in uh, Three Witch Way, which I've mentioned before, who you may remember from our Samhain Halloween extravaganza episode, in which he regaled us with a an enthralling tale about alien abduction when we were uh, sharing our scary stories during that segment. Uh-huh. It is Juno. Juno. Oh. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Thank you so Juno. much for having me. I do feel very official being here, especially with, like, the very elaborate introduction, and I feel like I, I could put it on my resume. You're extra official now that I have actually started recording the episode. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I, didn't want to, I didn't want to put you on blast like that, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Juno. My background with magic is uh, that when I was very young, like around seven years old, I first asked my mom if I could read tarot cards, and my mom was like, ah, no. <laughs> so fast forward a little bit around the age of 14 the movie the craft came out you can tell how old i am by that statement um and my cousin diana who's a lot like a sister to me i was about to call her my sister um she gave me the book teen witch by silver Ravenwolf. it was fantastic um but then uh because i'm i was raised catholic my uh my uncle who's a priest was like you have to put this down you have to get confirmed and i was like all right um, fast forward a little bit more. I was working at Whole Foods and I met somebody who introduced themselves as a witch to me. And I was like, oh yeah, I used to be like really into that. And that's when I learned to read tarot cards. And I really took a deep dive at that point. As I progressed witchy wise, I uh, moved from working with Aphrodite to working with Hera, who I work with now. And the first time I guess I worked with Hera unintentionally, was when I accidentally took mushrooms in the middle of the desert in Arizona. <laughs> accidentally is not good. As no. one does. <laughs> yeah. I actually went to this retreat as a um, as a guest, and then I left as faculty, because that's just fucking how I am. <laughs> and um, Very hair move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, after I helped everyone clean up and like we got the tents packed up and all this stuff, uh, this girl goes, hey, do you want some mushrooms? And I said, sure, that sounds great. Why I would think that I was being given drugs, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was like a raw foods retreat. So literally all I did was mm. drink juice and eat salad for a week. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there, was, there was no like red flag. So you were like delicious dried mushroom. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Why totally. not? So I, uh, she gave me them. I was like, I'm going to go take a nap because I was tired from doing all the physical work. And um, before I went to bed, I ate them. And then when I woke <laughs> up, things were, let's just say, different. And um, when I looked at my arm, I saw like a whole bunch of peacock feathers like bloom out of it. And I was like, those weren't regular mushrooms. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was my, uh, that was my first experience with Hera, I like to think. And then uh, moving forward, she came in in a more predominant way. So that's my that's my initial connection with birds. But recently, I've been trying to work with crows. So and tell us about that. Oh, can uh, I ask you, like, what kind of area you live in? Is it like an urban area or like? Sure. Um, right now, I'm living in New Jersey, about a half hour outside of New York City. 
so we do get all four seasons here in mixed proportions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is not my favorite thing about living here, but increasingly I increasingly less I, predictable weather. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's I mean, the more like uh or yeah, it's the more um it's closer to like it's like, like my area. Suburban? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, cuz Psychia is up north more, but we're more um like uh closer to New York City, like towards the it's more like a, a what would we call it? like a suburban urban kind of it's like urban yeah. light, I guess, cuz it's like outside <laughs> of the city outskirts, so it's not city city, but it's like I think we're somewhere city. between suburban and rural. Like I think at least my mm-hmm. area is definitely more suburb than mm-hmm. your, cuz you're kind of closer to like highways and stuff like that. Yeah, mine is more urban. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's interesting with New Jersey because it can switch in an instant. It's like one second you're in a suburban area and the next you're in like the woods somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. yesterday was beautiful. Today was like fine and tomorrow we have a winter weather watch. Yeah. So I don't even know <laughs> mm-hmm. how to handle yeah. that. Like yeah. I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> yeah. Um the weather here is less stable than I was in my twenties. So that's how, <laughs> that's what I like to say. <sighs> yeah. So, but recently I did. I, I tried to start to work with crows, and I don't even know what necessarily called me to that. Because um, I'm not like very big on not that I'm not big on crone energy. Um, Sister Celine is one of my most favorite people in the world. So clearly, oh, I have, um, an affection for that energy. I just don't really. Um, embody it so much that that frequently did you want me to go on about how i (laughs) how i've started that process yeah Yeah, so what um what led you to want to get closer to crows and was that process like a like a magical process more or more of like an interest in them as bird friends so as sister Celine can tell you i am not really one for animals in general. I generally consider them to be like children that never grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fine. Um, (laughs) That's how some of my exes were. Um, Ooh, burn! (laughs) (laughs) But uh, with the the crow thing, they just kind of with, with all my magical practices I kind of just let things like kind of wash over me and come into my awareness and that is kind of what happened with crows it was very much like um all of a sudden i was like i wonder what it would be like to to have a crow as a pet i think it might have been like after discussing maleficent or something as one does (laughs) (laughs) and i of course didn't want an actual pet and then i started to kind of deep dive online about what crows are like and what their behavioral patterns are and stuff. And a big distinction between crows and ravens, because I used to use the term interchangeably, but apparently ravens have the ability to like speak in a way. Like they can, they can repeat phrases, but crows can't do that. I knew there, there are like some little differences, like they're both corvids, but there's, there are like some little differences in like size and like beak and like 
the shape, I think, of their wings or like the wingspan in general. That sort I of thing. I think generally speaking, uh, ravens are a little bit larger than crows. Yeah. Um, but I so. did like the idea of becoming friends with crows because do you know what it's called when there's a group of them? <laughs> a murder. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and who wouldn't like a murder to follow them around? Exactly. <laughs> to follow them around and bring them shiny things. Like, fantastic. Yes. Um, and that was also something I thought was really interesting, that generally when you develop a relationship with crows, they have this exchange with you where they will, uh, you leave out, like, some type of a food for them, and then they bring you, like, shiny things. That's specifically, like, their <laughs> thing, which I was or like, even well, money, I'm... I've heard. Yeah, they can rob. You can train a bunch of crows to be like your little circle of thieves and you could run a racket just with crows and I don't think that. they haven't been thinking about it because they have and they will rob you they have and they will now remember yes. that well listeners <laughs> so i i decided that i wanted to get to know crows better and additionally i kind of have it on my side in a little bit because the my yard which as uh, Celine may remember is kind of like a larger yard mm-hmm. and in the summer we get lots and lots of like ravens and crows and birds and like just we get lots of wildlife in my backyard so last summer I got a bunch of them where they would like take their kills and like drown them in our bird bath oh nice yeah <laughs> lovely um which is really fun when you have like a 17-year-old sister or something when we're in the kitchen and all of a sudden you just see, like... <laughs> You're um, eating breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden you just see, like, a bird, like, plummet oh. into the bath with, like, something. Oh. It's kind of, it kind of gross, but whatever. Um, so I decided I was going to try... Uh, I looked online what they might like to eat, and unsalted peanuts are their thing. Like, they like unsalted peanuts a lot, but they also, because they're omnivores they eat they eat like meat and vegetation they uh, eat meat yeah, yeah. They like, oh wait worms worms are technically they considered meat right no, 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 no. Like, like squirrels yeah they eat like no eat other small animals they or um, they eat do and they? also dead <gasps> things yeah they're oh my so like scavenger vultures. type animals wow. but they also will hunt things occasionally i believe yeah. So one of the other suggestions is that if they don't respond to like peanuts or whatever, they suggest that you put out like a meat, like a like chicken parts or stuff like that. Um, oh. Which I was like, okay. But they did say that crows are creatures of habit. So if you start feeding them chicken, you're not <laughs> going to be able to switch it up to peanuts. So like, you don't want to get on their bad side. <laughs> And yeah. that's also a very crone-like quality, isn't it? Because the crone is always very set in her ways and resistant to change. And you see that mirrored by the crow yeah. uh, in its behavior. And also this kind of like irreverence for societal norms, kind of like, you know, uh, like a, a crone who's kind of like Sophia Petrillo from the Golden Girls and just kind of like shooting from the hip, whatever comes into her head. And the crow is like, yeah, if I see it, I'm gonna take it. It's mine. Now. <laughs> and it almost <laughs> like they're drunk little people. 
drunk little old ladies that are maybe a little aggressive and maybe a little bit they're a little aggressive they're like you know they're gonna they're gonna be the one to like hold up the line at Shoprite because they're gonna get that like ten percent off and you (laughs) you will contact your manager to like bypass (laughs) the fact that this coupon expired three months ago (laughs) oh my god it's true that's the vibe i got from them (laughs) so that that is very much the uh the the vibe of how crows prefer to be treated i guess is what i would say they're uh because of the weather in new jersey being very like in flux lately i haven't seen any and um i haven't even seen like squirrels or anything like that because i put some peanuts out in the backyard and there haven't been even many of them taken like from the bowl that I put them in. Mm. Mm. Now, I have a question about the peanut. I, I think that we uh, had seen in the thread about um, when I remember you were first bringing up that you wanted to have a deeper relationship with crows, that um, what was the verdict on whether the peanuts are like shell on or shell off? Unsalted shell on. Oh, that's, so they yeah. want to bite through the shell. Yeah, I think that's because they're, like, scavengery, and that's kind of like bones and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, crones them... love. <laughs> they love to suck on bones. They like do. Grandma. Baba Yaga. Yeah. Yeah, they love it. I think it gives them an advantage over the other birds also, because the other birds aren't going to have the same ability to, like, crack open a peanut that mm-hmm. a, like, very industrious bird like a crow would. And they also have, like the nice sharp beaks for it and things whereas like the the little songbirds are at a loss for things like that for sure like a hummingbird is not busting through a no (laughs) (laughs) definitely not (laughs) but yeah i've really enjoyed i've really enjoyed studying like crows and attempting to develop this thing with them even though like i've yet to establish a sustainable relationship. I also think it's just the weather for right now. I think once yeah. it warms up a little bit more, it'll be much uh, much easier facilitated. Also, this summer, I'm starting... Well, we already have, like, a garden in the back, but I'm doing a section specifically for, like, pollinating things. So I'm going to oh, have, like, nice. lots of sunflowers and things like that. Really Y'all, excuse me, I just heard a rattling on my air conditioner outside. And I just feel compelled to check if there is a bird on it. If I see a crow, I am going to flip my shit. And I'm probably going to also shit myself. No? Okay. It was like a leaf or something or a nut. I see something outside. It's nighttime here, so I can't really make it out. But I I heard that while you were telling my eyes went wide. I'm like, oh my fuck. This is it. They're here for me. (laughs) something that used to happen disturbingly often in philadelphia was you'd be like sitting in your living room and you'd hear a clunk on the window and (laughs) if you got up and checked it would be like a fried chicken leg or something like that that (laughs) how does that happen (laughs) i think it's like Birds and squirrels both will, like, take these items out of the trash can. So then you'll end up with, like, these, you know, they, like, drop them or another bird, like, a hawk will come in and, like, get the other bird that is carrying this thing. 
and then it'll fall on the window. So I would have like pieces of pizza or like pieces out of a bucket of fried chicken, like all over. That's hilarious. And it At was least they've got good taste. They go <laughs> yeah. for the good stuff. It was huh? eerie. Pizza, fried chicken. That's like some tasty <laughs> junk food. They're like little snackers there. Oh, that's yeah. something else that it uh, when I was reading about them and it says it says that they will they will totally eat junk food they love it but <laughs> but that it is like not advised that you feed them that because mm. it's like essentially like bastardizing their digestive <laughs> system yeah i would imagine so which another crone thing which also relates to who were we discussing during the crone things like here betty white she apparently uh her diet towards the end on that show that she was on they all said like yeah you know betty used to eat whatever she wanted yeah, like she used she mostly, to joke vodka and hot dogs <laughs> were like her main thing that when yeah. she did an interview they're like what are your hobbies and she's funny. like vodka's sort of a hobby cold <laughs> hot dogs that. she said one time <laughs> yeah so, which hot dogs are also and i'm running on a tangent i know but it's just the synchronicities are just like uh, hot dogs are sacred too, uh, or actually, she <laughs> likes hot dogs without the bun. To Eris, goddess of discord and discordianism. So really, really? what we have I here is a that. crone goddess of discord, Betty White, who her co-stars actually uh, apparently did not uh, care for that much. Are you talking about the Golden Girls? Yeah. Yeah, I no, think. No, I think you're talking about B. Arthur. Be no, Arthur didn't really like. She didn't like approve of Betty White's Betty like optimism. Really, she felt that yeah, she was like style, too bubbly, right? Yeah, yeah. And things. Yeah. I think out of those three crones, you had like really like two maidens, a mother, and a crone. And I feel like Blanche and uh, Rose were the maidens of the group. I feel yeah. like Sophia was the mother yeah. of the group, and I feel like Dorothy was actually the crone of the group. Because Maybe that's why I identify with Sophia. <laughs> yeah, she was more like the mom to everyone. She was everyone's dead mother, whereas Dorothy was like the one who's like, oh god, you know, like <laughs> and, um, Shady Pines, Ma. Shady, Shady Pines. Pines. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm sorry for that segue, but you know. The crow really does uh, have such strong crone energy. I'm just getting like, I'm feeding off of it right now. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. wow. Well, I mean, I think that it's interesting because it's where we all are headed, essentially. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In the cycle yeah. of energetics. We all start someplace, we end someplace, and then we're renewed, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I think that... I definitely was a maiden for a period when I had a relationship with Aphrodite in my like teens and twenties. Mm -hmm. And then around 25 was when the mother attribute came in for me, maybe 25, 26. And I don't know when I will step into my cronehood, but mm -hmm. I think that more and more it like slowly is bubbling up. I mean, I don't really, I haven't drank alcohol since November, unless you count like a sip of champagne on new year's. But Celine has seen me in full effect um, mm -hmm. consuming alcohol. And I don't think that is my crone personality, but I certainly think it's not my mother personality. <laughs> I, I think that that is a, um, a facet of 
the the crone energy that you will eventually embody. Uh, and, you know, I'll say this, continuing my coupon example, my metaphor, you better honor this coupon because Juno is not the one to be denied a good coupon there. Okay. Oh <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to recall briefly a uh, me yelling at you in a bar to not be Hestia. Something right. along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is reminding me of um, Liam Kyle Sullivan's Kelly series, and there's oh, always Kelly the grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Mother the grandmother grandma. is always there, like, uh, "Have some whiskey, honey. You'll feel better." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, never heard of that, but it sounds fantastic. Oh, Juno, you know Kelly shoes. Remember? Oh, oh my God! Shoes. Shoes. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. He did. Uh, the the mother grandma character always had like a little bonnet <laughs> on and like um like a nightgown and was always kind of like shaking a little bit and um and you know was an alcoholic and always liked to drink a lot of whiskey. <laughs> I mean, whiskey's great. So whiskey that is my is drink great. of choice. Yeah, I'm drinking some now. Mm-hmm. I'm just drinking water because I'm, I'm on a fitness journey. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I am, I, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, if you think about it, because of how cycles work and movement and stuff like that, it's almost like me starting to develop an interest in crows is almost like me kind of like peeking behind the veil of cronehood so maybe that's even what this could be about like the the maturation of my motherhood oh i love that yeah it just came to me when you said that and i was like oh that is interesting i i love that and uh birds and we talked about the psychia in i think part one uh or the earlier half before the mystagogal dancers took center stage (laughs) uh with their lovely dance uh, that was, uh, they were dressed like they pigeons. Were, they were dancing they were to the bird is the word them. song. They were dancing to bird is the word and doing <laughs> and they the were doing chicken. the chicken dance as well. Yeah. Yes. It was funky yeah. chicken. Yeah. The chicken, chicken dance. dance too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember going to an Oktoberfest one year and seeing all of these older German people get up and do the chicken dance. And I didn't know what that was. So really? all of a sudden, yeah. You hear the chicken dance in German playing over the the uh, vitrola or whatever it was. Yeah, and all of these old German people are doing the cluck cluck, and I'm like, oh my goodness! I was just, you know. Do they have that in other countries? The chicken dance song? Well, it, apparently it was big with this uh, with Huge. with the German community. That's crazy. Yeah, they enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Although I know but, um, from um, watching Dairy Girls, there are a lot of, like, line dances and things at events that they have in Ireland that are, like, oh. things I've never heard of before. And they're, you know, they're, like, pop songs, and they mm-hmm. have a dance to go along with it, and it's, I've, I'd never seen any of them, the ones that it's are like, in that. Um, so in my head, Ireland is, like, one big She's All That prom. Where, like, they show up places with full choreographed yeah. routine. <laughs> yeah. That sounds accurate. 
to me. I would love it's that. magpies and line dances. That's all. Pretty much, yeah. And I, I remember when you guys said that, I just remembered that song from uh, Bewitched. Remember? Uh oh. When you said Bewitched, the first thing I thought of was the TV show and then our logo. Right. Uh, <laughs> now, be, uh, uh, what, what was the rest of the song, though? I don't remember. I just remember. Uh, uh, I'm drawing anyway, a blank. <laughs> on um, that one. Yeah, Any no. of our listeners can write in and say, you know, what is uh, uh, from Bewitched? And uh, I mean, I think they're all dead now. You won't win anything, but, you know, we will appreciate it. Uh, uh, Bragging rights? On. That's really good. <laughs> Speaking uh, of so, dead, yeah. um, I know that crows, <laughs> you know, in like folklore and things, crows are associated with death mm. and and with death omens and things like that. So I think uh, that that could be where the crone element is coming in. Oh, yeah. As well. I mean, plus in general, anything that is of a darker nature or like even not actual dark energy or anything, but but, but like anything that falls in the color palette of like grays and darks and stuff like that generally gets assigned to the the bad, the elderly, the ending in most in most cases, not in all, because like I believe in the underworld. Yeah. Yeah. But like in in China and stuff like that, they wear white to funerals, don't they? Right. Yeah. And white red to is weddings. Actually, right. Associated with death. And we were talking about the differences with that in the cats episode about how black cats are actually considered lucky in uh, the UK as opposed to white cats who are considered the unlucky ones. So it yeah, that... it, it varies. Yeah. From from culture to culture. That one was yeah. surprising to me. Yeah. Well, I think, like, that's just a perfect example of cultural relativism. Like, how Mm -hmm. in each culture, there's, like, so many things that are very different based on the immediacy of the beliefs. Like, I'm going to go back to China for a moment, or, like, that area of the world. Like, they don't have the fourth floor in hotels. Like, how we don't have the 13th floor in hotels. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have the fourth because... In Cantonese, I believe, for uh, the word that they use for four also sounds like the word that they use for death. Interesting. <laughs> so they, they just omit the fourth floor completely in all buildings, which I think is interesting. Wow. Yeah. And it's this universal fear of death also, which is associated with, you know, the dark and with, you know, carrion birds and or like vultures and crows and there is a goddess who I believe is very strongly associated with crows, isn't it? The Morgan. Did we mention that already, Psychia, in part one? Um. Dear listeners, this is future Psychia again, and it is at this point in the program that I want to apologize for some technical issues, including a ton of reverb going on whenever I speak. <laughs> From this point until about halfway into our chat with Juno. Additionally, here and there, one or two of Sister Celine's words get sucked away into the Super Sargasso Sea for some unexplained reason. My hope is that 
this incident of Mercury and Pisces phenomena won't impact too heavily on your listening experience, but perhaps you can just imagine me as the nebulous floating specter of a cosmic goldfish garbling to you from the other side of a wormhole, perhaps, or broadcasting from the outer limits of of, 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 the the woo. Morgan, I don't remember if we talked about her. I don't believe that we have talked about her before, no. But the Morgan, I believe, is strongly associated with crows. And she had a triplicate form. Honestly, I don't know as much about her as I ought to, but I, I don't know if it was connected to different cycles, like if each version of her had a different aspect? rationale, a different aspect. Uh, I'm assuming so, but um, but I know that she was thought of as a goddess of war and of, you know, kind of like positive things, but also some some kind of like contentious things like, you know, uh, some negative. I think we can all agree war is not so great. You <laughs> hopefully, know? Yeah. And, uh, can agree yeah, that. hopefully we can all agree on that. And um, less than the best. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 uh, you know, and again, you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with crows having black plumage, uh, or being associated with crones, but, you know, I, I do think it's worth mentioning that there is that connotation. I think because they also work cooperatively with each other, mm. as like, mm. in some cases, and that's probably, I don't. I'm not really sure why a group of crows is called a murder, but certainly... Because they're killers. Yeah, (laughs) certainly a group of crows would be able to take on a prey animal and kill it cooperatively. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, a lot of other birds do that, like sparrows are pretty rough characters also. So (laughs) it does kind of make you wonder why... Crows are so associated with negative things, especially um, because magpies are also associated with death and things in folklore. And that's interesting because magpies aren't even entirely black. They're like a combination of black and white, which I think is really stunning. (laughs) But um, yeah. There, it, it seems corvids, in particular. Well, if you think about it also, the the size difference between a sparrow and a crow or a raven. Uh, sparrows have almost like a cherubic energy to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. like little, they're chubby, they're apparently bitchy when they're in groups. Yeah, they're but... very mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but they look very pathetic. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that the crow, on the other hand, they're like super angular and sleek, and they have these really elongated, beautiful beaks that are come to a point, and their uh, their feathers—they're not slicked back, obviously they're not hair, but like they have this like very elegant <laughs> sleekness to them, and the sheen exactly. So it comes across just a little bit edgier, I think, and. 
and they, they kind, kind of look, look like, like shadows when they're mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. moving in the sky. Yeah, yeah, totally. This is Future Psychia again with some more information about the Morrigan, an extremely ancient figure from Irish mythology who later became a goddess figure in Celtic myths. The Morrigan is a dark, vengeful, intelligent, and deadly shapeshifter. Able to take the form of a crow or raven, although in some stories she was also thought to appear as a cow, an eel, or a wolf. Typically depicted as a beautiful young woman with long dark hair, and usually wearing black, the Morrigan is associated with war and fate, the foretelling of doom, death, retribution, and victory in battle. In Celtic, the Morrigan's name might have meant the Great Queen, or perhaps something more akin to the Phantom Queen. However, according to Wikipedia, the Morrigan is often described as a trio of individuals, all sisters, called the Three Morigna. Membership of the triad varies. Sometimes it is given to Bav, Maka, and Nimon, while elsewhere it is given to Bav, Maka, and Anand. The latter is given as another name for the Morrigan. She is also associated with the Banshee of later folklore, and some sources connect the Morigna to the Three Furies of Greek mythology, underworld goddesses who avenge wrongdoing with death. An article on Exemplor.com called The Magic of the Morrigan, Bob the Battlecrow, explains that Bob means crow or one who boils. She has also been referred to as Bav Katha or Kath Bab, meaning Battle Crow. The Morrigan is considered a war goddess by some, but really she is a goddess of sovereignty, and each sister played their part in the attribution or revocation of power. Maka bound and enslaved the leaders of her enemies, and Bav would distract the enemy soldiers by taking the form of a crow and inciting chaos with her shrill cries. The second translation of Bav, one who boils, refers to the cauldron in the other world she presided over. The ancient Celts believed that the soul resided in the head, and would refer to severed heads as masts of Maka. They believed that Maka would collect the severed heads of battle and bring them to the underworld. Maka and Bav both would transform into crows and feed on the flesh of the fallen carrying their souls to the other world in their bellies. Once the soul reached the other side, they would encounter Bob as a kindly old crone bent over a large cauldron. She would ask them if they wanted to be reborn or if they wanted to dwell in the other worlds. Bob is also a seeress and was sighted several times delivering prophecies. Seeing the Morgan before battle was considered a very bad omen. Stories warned that if a warrior saw her while washing their armor, or if Bav appeared to someone as a washerwoman, wringing out their bloody clothes, it was a sign that they would not be returning home from war. In some beliefs, it was the Morgan's decision 
Who would die in combat, and who would live another day? As time went on, it became common practice to leave the bodies of the dead on the battlefield so that the Morrigan's crows had time to collect the departed. Interestingly, this bears some similarity to tales of Odin's ravens in Norse myths. The presence of Odin's ravens on the battlefield was a signal of Odin's welcoming of dead warriors into Valhalla. Odin's ravens were called Hugin, whose name meant thought, and Munin, whose name meant memory or mind. Hugin and Munin would fly around the world, observing and collecting information and whispering it back to Odin. Because of this association, Odin is sometimes referred to as Raven God. Before we continue on with the rest of our conversation with Juno, I also want to talk a little bit more about crows and ravens and magpies. The first order of business being, why is a group of crows called a murder? Well, there isn't really a definitive answer on this that I could find. However, according to an article by PBS, there are several different explanations for the origin of this term mostly based in old folk tales and superstitions. For instance, there is a folk tale that crows will gather and decide the capital fate of another crow. Many view the appearance of crows as an omen of death because ravens and crows are scavengers and are generally associated with dead bodies, battlefields, and cemeteries, and they're thought to circle in large numbers above sites where animals or people are expected to soon die. But the term murder of crows mostly reflects a time when groupings of many animals had colorful and poetic names. Other fun examples of group names include an ostentation of peacocks, a parliament of owls, a knot of frogs, and a skulk of foxes. In my opinion, it's pretty clear that Ravens and crows have a long-standing connection to people being murdered, at least in battle, as per Norse and Celtic mythology spanning, you know, potentially thousands of years. Additionally, a lot of people might be familiar with an old nursery rhyme called One for Sorrow, which is based on old superstitions about magpies. Wikipedia says the rhyme has its origins in superstitions connected with magpies considered a bird of ill omen in some cultures, and in Britain at least as far back as the early 16th century. There is considerable variation in the lyrics used. A common modern version is one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret, never to be told. An earlier version, published in the 1700s, goes one for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, and four for a birth. And one from the 1800s is as follows. One for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, four for birth, five for heaven, six for hell, seven for the devil, his own self. On occasion, jackdaws, crows, and other corvidae are associated with the rhyme, particularly in America where magpies are less common. 
An article on LearnReligions.com offers a pretty thorough summary of crow and raven-related magic and superstitions as well. Quoting from there, In some tales of the Welsh myth cycle, the Mabinogion, the raven is a harbinger of death. Witches and sorcerers were believed to have the ability to transform themselves into ravens and fly away, thus enabling them to evade capture. Crows sometimes appear as a method of divination. For the ancient Greeks, the crow was a symbol of Apollo in his role as god of prophecy. Augury, divination using birds, was popular among both Greeks and the Romans, and augurs interpreted messages based not only on the color of a bird, but the direction from which it flew. A crow flying in from the east or south was considered favorable. In parts of the Appalachian Mountains, a low-flying group of crows meant that illness is coming, but if a crow flies over a house and calls three times, that means an impending death in the family. If the crows call in the morning before other birds get a chance to sing, it's going to rain. Despite their role as messengers of doom and gloom, it's bad luck to kill a crow. If you accidentally do so, you're supposed to bury it, and be sure to wear black when you do. In some places, it's not the sighting of a crow or raven itself, but the number that you see which is important. Mike Cahill at Creepy Basement says, Seeing just a single crow is considered an omen of bad luck. Finding two crows, however, means good luck. Three crows mean health, and four crows mean wealth. Yet, spotting five crows means sickness is coming, and witnessing six crows means death is nearby. Even within the Christian religion, ravens hold a special significance. While they are referred to as unclean within the Bible, Genesis tells us that after the flood waters receded, the raven was the first bird Noah sent out from the ark to find land. Also, in the Hebrew Talmud, Ravens are credited with teaching mankind how to deal with death. When Cain slew Abel, a raven showed Adam and Eve how to bury the body, because they had never done so before. A great example of the raven's cultural association with grief, loss, and remembrance in more modern times is, of course, Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven, which we all know and love. This concludes part one of our episode all about magical, mythical, and divinatory birds. Please tune in next time for the rest of our excellent chat with Juno, as well as many more fun and fascinating tidbits concerning owls, peacocks, and for no reason at all, Dr. Jean's avocado dance. Beware and be well. birds are using much what is that sound oh do you have do you, do you have, have more bird stuff Oh, no. <laughs>
I just, I just, it's okay, because we... Okay. Okay, so, so that'll that's... be a dry run. That was our audition. <laughs> and I didn't pass, Ever... and you just connected me. <laughs> no. Is that some some breathing? Is Darth Vader on the line? <laughs> so maybe that's part of where the crone association <laughs> oh God, is I'm coming sorry. from. Which I can tell now, and then you can cut it out if it seems like it's <laughs> <just> completely absurd. <laughs> the, like, mathematician hole. In the world of birds. Salmon. That's I, that's all I got.